The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Turn with me this morning to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. And we're going to read just a few verses to begin with. Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Now, I want to stop reading right there, but Lord willing, we'll continue through this psalm and this message. But the topic that's on my mind this morning is the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. That is, the all-knowingness of God. Now, I've tried to preach on this in the past. In fact, I tried to preach on it to the Las Vegas folks last week. But it's a topic that cannot be exhausted. And, and in fact, it's a subject that it will be impossible for us here this morning to fully understand. There's a quote that I've used before that I like by John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church. He said this, Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I will show you a man that can comprehend God. That's a pretty good comparison, isn't it? Because... We're called worms in the sight of God sometimes uh, in, in a couple of places in the Scripture. And, and the idea that a worm can comprehend a man is as foolish as the idea that a man can comprehend a God who is so high above us even as we are the worms of the dust. But we're commanded to try. We're commanded to know Him better. So this morning, I want to try to talk about some things about God, maybe starting off with the general proposition that God is all-knowing, and then hopefully, if we can finish it this morning, we'll try to narrow it on down to right where we live every day. So let's, let's jump in here, if we can. Now, first of all, the Scripture's clear that God knows all things. God knows all things. Now, there's some implications from that that are kind of mind-blowing. Think about this. God knows nothing better than anything else because He knows everything equally well. Okay? He, God cannot be an expert in anything because He's an expert in everything. Think about how we, I think about it from legal terms, we call people as expert witnesses from time to time. That can be a scientist who's performed an experiment, or it can be, it can be a, a, a farmer who knows how to build a fence. Uh, that's actually a, 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 an example that has been used this before is where a fence, the building of a fence was at issue in a lawsuit, and, and a farmer who knows how to build a fence can be an expert in that because the jurors may not know uh, any of the details of that. So God is an expert in everything, so he can't be an expert 
specialist, if you will, in anything. Because <laughs> he specializes in all. God cannot discover anything because he already knows everything. God can't, God has, you know, God has never had an aha moment. Think about that. And you've had them, I've had them where, oh, I get that now. There was a man named Archimedes who was a, a mathematician in ancient Greece who went to the Greek baths in Athens and and he'd been trying to work out a, uh, a math problem in his head. And uh, while he was in those baths, it came to him. And he was so excited about it, he forgot to put his clothes back on. And he began running through the street shouting, Eureka! Eureka! And the, that's translated, I have seen it! I have seen it! God has never had a Eureka moment. Because God knows everything. Now... He's asked questions in the Bible, hadn't he? Yes, he has. But when God asks a question, it's not to discover information, but to impart it. One of the first questions we read about in the Word of God is when Adam committed that sin in the garden and third chapter of Genesis, he goes to hide in the, in the trees there as God comes walking in the garden of Eden in the cool of the day. And God asks a question, Adam, where art thou? Now, it wasn't because God didn't know where Adam was, but it was because Adam needed to know where he was. <laughs> when God asks a question, he's not trying to find out information. He's imparting it in some way. We've seen in our Gospel of Mark series that we're in the middle of where they're questioning Jesus. And he usually turns it right back on them and asks them a question. But it's not in order for Jesus to be educated. It's in order to educate them. God knows all things, okay? <clears throat> now, now let's, let's break it down a little bit. Let's think about this. God knows all things, and that means He knows all things that have ever been. He knows all things that have ever been. He doesn't forget anything. He doesn't have trouble recalling anything. He doesn't mix anything up. Kind of... Maybe you young folks don't get this, but it kind of sounds different from me. <laughs> Sherry and I have been married 29 years. And, I, you know, we generally agree on how it was that we got together and started dating. But if you go to ask details, she may remember it one way and I remember it another way. You know, I remember she chased me till she caught me. Well, no, I'm just kidding. That's... That, might, be a, that might, might not be exactly true, so I don't need to preach that. So I'm kidding about that. <clears throat> but we, we might have differing details. We, we were talking about something. I, I can't remember now what we were talking about. <laughs> we were talking about something the other night, and, and I said, didn't this happen? She said, well, I thought it was this, and I can't remember. God doesn't forget anything. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have to search his memory. He doesn't ever say it's right on the tip of my tongue. Okay? Look, look with me just to look at some scriptures to back some of these things up. I don't ever want it to just be my statements that, that you rely on. We need to rely on what scripture says. Look over in Isaiah chapter 41. I don't want to go in too much here because we don't have time this morning, but I, don't want to, I do need to lay a little groundwork. 
Um, so God is, is basically taking Israel to task for worshiping idols. And, and various time, at various times in the, in the book of Isaiah, he sort of, it's almost like he, he makes fun of the idols, okay? He kind of, and, and he compares what the idol can do, the idol of wood or stone can do, to what he can do. And, and so in verse 19, we're kind of jumping in the middle of one of those episodes, and he says, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shittah tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree, and I will set the de- in the desert the fir tree and the pine, and the box tree together. Now, he's, he's saying these idols are made of these pieces of wood, wood from these trees, and he's sort of talking about this. He said that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. And, and now here he goes, he says, okay, produce your cause, saith the Lord. In other words, argue your case. Bring forth your strong reason, saith the king of Jacob. You're going you're gonna to be worshiping these idols of wood and stone. Let them argue their case before me. And, and this is, see, this is what a God, this is what God himself will do, he's about to tell us. And if they're really gods, they'll do this too. He says, let them, verse 22, let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they be, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are gods. Speaking of these gods of silver and gold and idols of, of wood. Yea, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and behold it together. In other words, if you really were a god then you would be able to show us what shall happen. You would be able to tell us what, what has happened. And you'll be able to make predictions that will come true. And, and he says in verse 24, Behold, ye are of nothing, your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. And see what he's doing there is he's, he's, he's basically taunting these non-gods, <laughs> these idols, and saying, you're not God's because you can't do this. And the implication is, is that I am God because I can do this. I do know all things that have ever been. You see, there has never been and never will be a time when anything was unknown to God. He knows all things past as if they were now present. And, and really, there's nothing past or present in his knowledge. You know, in one place he says... He would put our tears in his bottle. Our tears will be put in his bottle. In Malachi, he talks about a book of remembrance being written about those who gather in the name of the Lord. That is, there is a perpetual presence of the things that are past before God. He knows all things that have ever been. And he knows all things that are now. He knows all things that are now. Over in Hebrews... Chapter 4, one of my favorite statements about the omniscience of God is found here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse, well, verse 12 talks about the Word of God being quick and powerful. And that's not the, that's not the written Word, that's the living Word of God. 
And it's talking about how it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'll come back to that hopefully in a minute, if not with this verse, with another one. But he knows what you're thinking and he knows what you're planning to do. Before you plan to do it, he knows it. <laughs> and now look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There's a lot of things I can hide from y'all. There's a lot of things I can hide from my family, but there's nothing I can hide from God. All things that are now, listen, Job says in chapter 34 and verse 21, His eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. What a God. <laughs> we can't run from him. We can't hide from him because he sees everything. He knows all things that are now. And then he knows, he also knows all things that will ever be. Back over in the book of Isaiah, the 46th chapter, in verse 9, it's a very familiar passage probably to most of you who believe in the sovereignty of God. And listen to what it says. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Boy, that's a lot to preach on right there, but... My point is coming up in verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Boy, there's a lot in this, but I don't want to go too deep into it because i got a, long, a lot of ground I want to cover this morning. But let me just say this. He couldn't declare the end from the beginning if he didn't know the end from the beginning. <laughs> You see? Now, now, this is not an absolute predestination verse, by the way. God didn't predestinate the end from the beginning. He declared it. He is aware of it. He knows it. And He set the bounds from which it will not go any further. He didn't cause all things to happen that occur therein. But see, He knows all things that ever will be. In Psalm 147, in verse 5, there's so many things here, but we'll come back to it later. Psalm 147 and verse 5, Great is our Lord and of great power. Certainly He is omnipotent, but is He omniscient? Does He know everything? Well, according to this psalmist, His understanding is infinite. Now, you're probably like me. You've got some areas of knowledge that you've got a pretty deep understanding of, you know. Brother Glendon's got a lot of knowledge about mechanic work, you know, and, um, you know, we got others. My daddy was one of the best. He had a lot of knowledge about growing chickens and farming. Uh, Brother Mackey knows how to run a business over in Tuscaloosa. Uh, he knows tires. But my knowledge of certain things is not infinite. It's finite. I am limited. My knowledge is finite. But God's knowledge is infinite. His understanding is infinite. He knows all things that will ever be. Now, I'm fixing to blow your mind on this next one. And I don't want to get too far afield. Don't, don't worry over it too much because you can get off into philosophizing over this. But not only does God know all things that have ever been, 
And not only does he know all things that are now, and not only does he know all things that ever will be, God knows all things that never will be. <laughs> that sounds, wait a minute, what are you talking about, Brother Chris? Well, see, God, God is the God. We don't believe in the absolute predestination of all things. You know why we don't believe that? Because the Bible doesn't teach it. And if we did believe that, that would be making God the author of sin. God would be the one who caused Adam. In fact, the true Calvinist believes that God ordained for Adam to sin so that God could then uh, send his son to, to overcome that. And so everything that happens is ordained or purposed by God. God is not that God. The Bible is, does not teach that God. A lot of the things that happen to us, most of the things that happen to us are a result of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. It's a result of the fact that we make bad choices or that other people make bad choices, okay? But our God, see, doesn't, I don't even, let me say it this way. God doesn't need to predestinate things in order for, to have his will be done in this world. He's, he's so much greater than we are, you know, that he doesn't have to resort to predestination, which only applies to his people, by the way. See, God is the God of all possible outcomes, all possibilities in the daily walks of our life. And we see that in a couple of places. One, and you don't have to turn there, but sometime when you get a chance, look in Matthew chapter 11, about verses 20 and 21. He says, Woe unto thee, Tyre, uh, woe unto thee, uh, uh, Judah and Bethlehem. And he call, he's talking to, I'm sorry, to Jerusalem. Woe unto thee, Jerusalem. He said, If the great things that were done here were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. Now, I just believe the Lord's always telling the truth. Right. He knows that had the things that had happened here happened there, there would have been repentance. He knows how those things would have been an outcome. Sometime when you get a chance, go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 23. That's the story of David down there at Keilah, a city, while he's running from Saul. And, and David goes to uh, the priest. And he says, I need you to ask of the Lord for me uh, a couple of questions. One question is, is Saul coming here to find me? The second question is, will the men of this city deliver me up to Saul? And the answer to both of those questions was yes. Saul's coming, and they're going to deliver you up. Well, if he's a fatalist, that's where David just sits down in the road and says, well, I'll just wait, you know, there's nothing for me to do. But David got himself up and his men, and he left. And you see, God knew that as well. God is a God of all possible outcomes. And I just, I just want you to understand how infinite that is. I can't even get my mind wrapped around that. And I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't want you sitting here thinking the rest of the message about that. <laughs> but, but that's amazing, is it not, that God, God knows all things that never will happen. <laughs> He's the God of all possible outcomes. Okay, let's talk about something else that God's omniscience covers. Have you ever had anybody question you and say something, maybe... Maybe somebody's trying to help you grow or learn or mature and say, son or daughter, you need to get to know yourself a little bit better. You ever had that? Have you ever had that feeling? I've, I've had that feeling where 
I feel like, man, I just, I just don't even know my, myself. Sometimes I surprise myself. Occasionally in a good way, most of the time in a bad way. You know, I, and I, I find out things about me. I, I, I start searching my soul and I realize there's something down in the dark recesses of my depraved heart that you wouldn't like and that I don't like and that God hates uh, and that I am, I am sin sick and there's things I don't even want to think about and about myself. But did you know that God in his omniscience knows himself completely? He knows himself completely. Think about that. No one else knows God like he knows himself. Think about, as I said, we don't even know our own selves. And think about how, how little we know about God. Romans 11.33, we sing a song about it. tells us, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. See, the limited amount we can know about God it's so limited, it's so little, uh, even though he's graciously given us some insight into his own nature through his word. Even the devil has limited knowledge of God. See, I don't believe the devil knew exactly what was going to happen at Calvary. I think the devil was taken aback by that. And he certainly doesn't know God, but God completely understands himself. There's no dark recesses of the divine nature somewhere with a lockbox in his heart containing information that he doesn't know about himself. God cannot learn anything because he already knows everything. He cannot learn anything about himself because he already knows everything about himself and his own divine nature. You cannot teach God because God needs no instructor. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, uh, chapter 40, and begin reading in verse 13. Isaiah 40 and 13. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding? God has no therapist. God has no psychologist or psychiatrist to help him discover more about himself. God knows all about himself. He has no teacher. He has no one to help him grow and mature and learn more and more about himself because he already knows himself completely. God knows himself. Another thing about the omniscience of God is that God knows his creation. God knows his creation. You know, I've made a few things in my life, not very many. I made a few things from scratch. And those things I made, I knew all about, or mostly about. I knew more about them than other things that were given to me. They meant more to me than things that I didn't have to work for, I didn't have to create. But God knows his creation. We're told in Proverbs 15.3 that he sees everything. It says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. That's both the evil man and the good man, and it's also the evil that's done and the good that's done, which includes evil and good that we do. Listen to this, and I'm going to run through these pretty quickly. You can turn there if you want, but, but I, just, I wrote these down. I just wanted to, to, to sort of tick them off. So we can see how great God is. 
See, God knows His creation. He knows all the stars. Psalm 147 and verses 4 and 5 says, He telleth, which is a, an accounting term, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. You know, I read occasionally on, in newspapers or on Internet news where some new star has been discovered. And they've named a new star after some man who discovered that star. I always thought it would be neat to discover a star. But God already knows about that star. And in fact, there's a name for that star that only God knows because he knows the names of all the stars. <laughs> he calleth them all by their names. I think I've mentioned this here before. But according to Psalm chapter 50 and verse 11, he knows all the birds. Now, you know, I love the wildlife that's out there, deer, squirrels, and all that. But, you know, if you just look around you, there's a lot of wildlife, there's a lot of deer, there's a lot of squirrels, a lot of coyotes, and that, but there are millions of birds, millions of birds. But Psalm 50 and verse 11 said, I know all the fowls of the mountains, the ones that we know about, the ones that have not been discovered yet, the ones that are extinct or we think are extinct, God knows each and every one of them. Matthew 10 tells us he even sees a little sparrow when it falls. He sees the sparrow. He says, one of them, talking to us about sparrows, shall not fall to the ground without your father. Wow. He knows the birds. He, he, he knows the other wildlife. It says, The wild beasts of the field are mine. Psalm 29, 9 says, The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds or the deer to calve and discovereth the forest. And that means not that he's finding out about it. That means he's laying it bare. He's, he's opening it up. In, in his mind and understanding, he knows every leaf of every tree of every forest in this world. We don't have time today to do this, but sometime when you get a chance, maybe this afternoon when this rain starts falling, you haven't got anything better to do, open up your Bible to Job chapter 38 and see what God says in his questioning of Job. Where were you, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I told the water it could come so far and no further? He goes on for about two or three chapters there telling us what all he did and how great he is. I think you'll agree with me that how great thou art does not do him justice <laughs> because he's even greater than we could ever praise him. God knows his creation. Now, get this. This is beginning to get kind of precious to us here. God certainly knows all things and he knows himself and he knows his creation, but we're told in the Word of God that God knows every single one of his people every single one of his people it would be a sorry sight indeed it would be a weak god indeed if he knew everything except who he was sending his son to die for wouldn't that be a sad situation but according to paul in writing to timothy in second timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 paul makes this statement he says nevertheless the foundation of god standeth sure Having this seal, 
I, I really want to know what the foundation of God is. I need to know what kind of seal there is upon the foundation of God. When I build a house, I want to know the foundation is secure. I want to know that this foundation, Brother Bob Holly came up here many, many days to make sure that the foundation here was secure, to make sure they were pouring it right so that when we built this building, it wouldn't fall down. I want to know as I stand here, Brother Buddy, that this building is built on a firm foundation. Well, beloved, it's even more important to know the foundation of God, is it not? The foundation of salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is even more important. He said the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. What's that seal, Paul? The Lord knoweth them that are His. Isn't that amazing? Over in Isaiah chapter 53, we're, that's the great, we call that sometimes the gospel according to Isaiah, right? <laughs> the 53rd chapter, so precious. And there's a place in there, I believe it's about verse, uh, verse 11 maybe, where he says, uh, where, where, where uh, Isaiah writes this, he says, uh, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. What's he talking about? The knowledge of who he was going to die for. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that salvation is not by happenstance. That's why the angel could stand there and tell Joseph uh, on, on the day that Joseph was thinking about putting away his wife uh, to spare her from embarrassment because he wasn't sure what was happening in this pregnancy that occurred before their marriage. And he said, uh, he said uh, Joseph, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, for she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The angel could say that and not be joking. He could say that and not be wrong or mistaken because he did save his people from their sins. That's why John could write that Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. You know why? Because God gave him some people and he knew who they were. And he accomplished the task. He tells us in John 17 about verse 2, I have finished the work that thou hast given me to do. And that's Jesus talking to God, not Jesus talking to you or you talking to him. Jesus said, I have finished the work that thou hast given me to do. And therefore Jeremiah could say, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And therefore... With loving kindness have I drawn thee. And beloved, you know something else? I want to tell you something that I don't know if you can say it's better than that, but it sure does help me even more right here and now. God knows his people. He knows each and every one of them. God knows you, beloved. If you're one of his children, he knows you. He knows exactly. He knows you personally. He knows all about you. Now, I like to think about God saving his people, brother buddy, but I really like to think about God saving me. I like to think about God knowing all things in creation and all things in this world that have ever been or ever will be. I like to think about him knowing all of his people, who they are, but it really gets down to the heart of the matter when I think about He knows me in the depths of the night, in the dead of night, when I'm struggling to go back to sleep because I'm worrying and I'm upset and I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed. I need to know that God knows me personally. 
See, he tells us in his word, this omniscient God knows what you're made of, beloved. Over in Psalm 103, just a few pages back, Psalm 103 in verse 14, listen to this. <laughs> Psalm 103 and verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows what we're made of. That word frame there means our form or our purpose or our intellectual framework. And he formed us from the dust. You know, as I said, I made a few things in my life from, you know, from, from scratch, so to speak. But, but God made us from the dust and he knew he knows us he made us in his image he created us like he wanted us to be he tells us in Matthew 10 and verse 30 that the very hairs of our head are all numbered now it's getting easier to count the hairs on my head and maybe some of y'all are the same way but I tell you I still hadn't counted all the hair on my head and I know many people that are completely bald that hadn't counted all the hairs on their head but God knows each and every single one of them Look at going back to our text chapter, Psalm 139. Look at verse 14. I will praise thee, the psalmist says, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He knows what you're made of, beloved. He knows what you are. And not only that, and this can get a little, a little scary, he knows what you're thinking. <laughs> Remember what we read in our, as we began this? He said, first part of Psalm 139, he said, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Verse 2, thou knowest my down sitting, mine uprising. Verse 4, just for lack of time, skip down to that. He said, there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Over in, you don't have to turn there, but in Psalm 44 and verse 21, he says, he knoweth the secrets of the heart. He knoweth the secrets of the heart. Do you have something secret that you've kept from everybody else? God knows it. Maybe it's a secret sin. He knows it. Maybe it's a secret desire. He knows it. Maybe it's a secret hurt. He knows it. Maybe it's a secret uh, that, that burdens you. He knows it, you see. We're told in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. You know, I have trouble sometimes remembering how I said something and what I meant when I said it. You ever, you ever had that trouble? As time goes by, you know, maybe at the time you meant it one way, but later on you convince yourself that you meant it a different way. God knows. Have you ever not said something that you thought and you almost said? Well, in the sight of God, you might as well have said it because he knows. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to hold your tongue, especially if it's something sinful or speaking in anger or something. Brother Buddy's preached to us about acceptable words quite a bit lately. And it's a whole lot better to keep it in than to offend your brother. But just understand, God knows regardless. He knows what you're thinking. He knows where you are. He knows where you are physically. He knows where you are geographically. Proverbs 15, 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. 
You can't hide from God. Look at, look at Psalm 139. We quit reading in verse 6 when we started this message, but let's go to verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. <laughs> you can't hide from God. Jonah thought he could. He ended up in the belly of a whale, but you know what? God was there. God knew where he was. He was in the belly of hell. He, he called that himself, and yet God was there. You can't fly to Mars or Venus or Jupiter and get away from God. He's there, you see. He's there. He knows where you are. I love, I love the story of Hagar and Ishmael. When Hagar, let me just turn back over to Genesis chapter 16. You know, Ishmael was the illegitimate son of Abraham that he had uh, with Sarah's permission with her little hand, Egyptian handmaid. And of course, as those things usually do, they end up with problems. And Sarah got jealous and, and had Abraham kick her out, kick Hagar out. And she gets out into the wilderness, out into the desert. Back in Genesis 16, we'll skip most of the story, but we'll come down uh, to the point where after Hagar had run away from Sarah, the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness and stopped and talked to her and told her to go back. She was out there where nobody, she thought, knew where she was, but God did. Look at verse 13. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And wherefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. Behold, it's between Kadesh and Barad. And that word there literally means, in verse 14, Be'er, the word Be'er or Beer is, is the word for well. Uh, Beersheba, you've heard of those places like that. That's talking about a well at Sheba. And here this well, Be'er Lahai Roi, is the well of him that liveth and seeth me. She couldn't go anywhere. She could, she could get away from Sarah. She could get away from Abraham, but she couldn't get away from God. I like that little story. That means that in the wilderness, wherever we are, God knows where we are. And you know, he knows, he knows where you came from. He knew you before you were you. We've already read in verse uh, 14 and 15, or verse, beginning verse 13 of Psalm 139, Thou hast possessed my reins, thou covered me in my mother's womb. He knew you before you were you. He said, I will praise thee. He goes on to say in verse 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He knew you before you were brought forth. He tells Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. And before thou was brought forth, I sanctified thee to be a prophet for me. He says, my substance was not hid from thee. He knew you before you were you. He knows where you came from. And praise God, he knows where you're going. Look at verse 16. 
Verse 16 of Psalm 139, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book. Now this is amazing. This will blow your mind right here. Now remember, this is, this is his substance before he was formed. Okay, this is before he became who he was, this psalmist here. Thine eyes did see my substance, being yet unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet... There was none of them. You know your life story? God already knew all about it. Now, now don't, don't, let's get too far afield here, but I want to say that doesn't mean God caused it. God didn't make you steal that penny or, or lie to that teacher or whatever it may be that you've done. God didn't make you do that, but God knows all about it. And he knew all about it before you were ever formed in the womb. He knows where you're going. And this is maybe the sweetest thing as we bring this to a close. Praise God because of his omniscience, because he knows all things, because he knows his creation, because he knows who his children are, and because he knows you as his child. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're facing, child of God. Listen to, listen to what Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 11 says. Listen to Proverbs 15, verse 11. L and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? In other words, if hell and destruction can't hide from God, if he knows all about hell and destruction, how much more does he know about the hearts of his children? Hell is that Hebrew word sheol, which refers to not just the grave, although that's part of it, but also the underworld. Hell, that, as we know it. And then I like that word destruction. That word destruction there is the Hebrew word abaddon, abaddon. Now to some of you Bible readers, that'll be a familiar word. Because over in the book of Revelation, chapter 9 and verse 11, you're going to see that word transliterated. Translated is when it takes a word uh, and, 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 and puts what that meaning of that word is into a different language. So, so this, this word here is translated, the King James Bible is translated from Hebrew and Greek and in one place, a couple of places, Aramaic, and, it, and the meanings are put in in English, okay? Transliterated means you take the word and literally bring it over as that word. For example, uh, uh, manna. Manna is, uh, is not normally an English word. It's the Hebrew word mana. And, and yet they bring it over into Greek as M-A-N-N-A, and they bring it over in, in, in English as M-A-N-N-A. So it's transliterated, and it means something now, of course, to us, but it wasn't originally an English word. Well, this word abaddon, A-B-A-D-D-O-N, was not originally an, an English word, but you read about abaddon being the one who is, uh, uh, is leading the forces of, of, of evil and wickedness over there in the book of Revelation. And literally what that word is, is transliterated from, from Hebrew, Abaddon, to, to Greek, Abaddon, to English, Abaddon. And it means ruin or destruction. It means, uh, and it actually refers to the prince of the dark regions over there in Revelation. And, and you know, think about this. God is, in other words, God is saying, I know all about hell. I Did you know God created hell? God, the devil didn't create hell. We, we sometimes talk about it being a devil's hell, but it's not a devil's hell. It's God's hell. 
It's been created by God for the devil and his angels and, and, and those who are not children of God. You see, it was created by God. God knows all about it. God knows all about destruction. God knows all about these things. Sometimes we say we are experiencing hell on earth and we may be getting a little taste of it, but really we, we don't know what we're talking about. But God does because he even knows real hell and abandon, destruction. You know, death is probably the scariest thing we face, isn't it? I mean, that's really our greatest fear is, is dying and, and death. You know, that's why we work to make money so we don't starve to death. That's why we get nervous sometimes when we get on the roads and maybe get in crowds where there's some rough-looking characters and that sort of thing. But, you know, death doesn't bother God at all. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. He, death is an enemy. He hates it, and he didn't bring it. But God's not perturbed by it at all. One of the things that always kind of just made me kind of cringe is the idea of a burial at sea. You know, when, on those ships, especially in, in years past, centuries ago, when they'd cross the Atlantic coming to America, there'd be people that would die on those ships. And, and they wouldn't keep the bodies on the ship because of, of it would, the decomposition would be a health risk. And they would take that body, wrap it up, weight it down, and cast it into the sea. And that just, you know, the thought of that body going down into the bottom of the ocean, a mile down, what, and, and, and ultimately being eaten by the fishes or, 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 or just decomposing, it just it kind of, when I was a kid, that kind of bothered me. You know, it doesn't bother me now to think about that. You know why? Because God knows all the burial places. You know, there were, there were people on 9-11 that were obliterated. They couldn't have a burial casket. They couldn't do anything. I, I've experienced that. I had a victim in a homicide one time that was burned completely up, just about. I went to her funeral, and, and her remains were in an urn. On the, I thought, how terrible that is. Her mom and daddy sitting there having to deal with that. But, beloved, let me just say this to you. Don't, don't be upset to the point of shaking your faith if something like that happens to one of your loved ones. There's no telling what condition these old bodies may get in before death. But I tell you what, God knows every atom of their existence God knows the place where every atom of their dust resides to this day. And one day, he, you know, he alone knows where Moses sleeps. Moses, we don't even know where Moses was buried, but God knows. He knows where Adam's remains lie. The whole realm of the dead lies open before the Lord. Man, a God like that, I can trust my, my daily walk to. How about you? I believe I can live with that. He says in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 31 and verse 15, My times are in thy hands. That, and that, that word times there, I like that. <laughs> I, I looked it up in, in, in one of the Hebrew lexicons. This is what that word times means. It's a whole bunch, you know, the Hebrew definitions, they'll have a bunch of different aspects of it that they'll list that's what i like about some of these lexicons so the word times 
can mean a proper time, a certain time, a longer time, a happy time, an unhappy time, every time. <laughs> All times, beloved, are in His hands. All times. You know, as we bring this to a close, bring it to a close here from Psalm 139. After saying all of this about the great omniscience and knowledge of God, look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. You know, there's coming a time when this old world's going to be rolled up like a scroll. It's going to be burned up like with a fervent heat. That sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? But not when you know the God who knows everything. And we had not even talked about his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. We've just talked about his all-knowingness today. But he knows where all of us are. And when I lay down in death, though my body be returned to the dust that it was formed from, Yet God knows exactly where I am. And when his trumpet blows, when his resurrection day comes, he will gather it back together, the dust that no man can bring together. None of us can do it, but God can bring it together, and we'll do that, and will bring us home to be with him. Praise God for our great and wonderful, all-knowing God. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.